You're listening to the horror. Welcome to the horror. I'm Russell Sharman, and uh, not so much a fan of the horror. I'm Owen Edgerton, and I am correct about the horror. I love it, and it's wonderful. <laughs> and on this week, we're doing A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, this is a 1984 a film by Wes Craven, starring a, a group of kids who are being, in their dreams, chased down by a severely scarred boogeyman in a red and green sweater with a claw-like hand. So, um, so this movie mm. is the first is the first of the movies that we've watched that I have actually seen before. That's right. You saw it as a, as a teenager, yeah? Indeed. Uh, saw it many times as as a young person. As most young people do, you, you, you put in the old scary movies, and certainly this was one of them. Child of the 80s, Nightmare on Elm Street was a kind of iconic film. Mm, still is. Uh, uh, sure. So I was interested to, uh, oh. to revisit it as an adult to sort of see... And I had I had kind of an interesting experience with it. Is this? Did you have that moment in like Ratatouille when the the film critic eats the Ratatouille and he is he is transported back to his youth and his innocence in a moment of glory and insight and has an epiphany about the joy of actually in being alive? Did you have that moment? Oh, clearly you don't know about my childhood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, mom and dad. Um, no, I, the the strange experience I had was that I, I found it difficult to to have any kind of real critical distance from it because because it was bringing up so many of those those memories of seeing it before so it actually kind of made it harder for me to judge it in a way which i found kind of fascinating and uh not sure not sure how i feel about it so i did you did you enjoy it did you enjoy the rewatching? no 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 i didn't um, <laughs> Did you enjoy it as a so you watched it several times? You didn't just like oh I happened to see it. It was playing at a party. You you enjoyed it as a teenager, correct? Okay, yes. You know what it's like growing up uh, in the eighties. I don't know if it was if it was the 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 sort of the dawn of, of VHS or or what have you, but you tended to watch movies a lot. Yeah, the same movies same over movies. and over again. Yeah, and maybe that stole some of its power. Um, I'm not sure as a, perhaps a reference to the film that somehow at one point I turned my back on Freddie. And he no longer had power over me. But um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but watching it again, I had this experience where, on the one hand, I was feeling, oh, I remember this moment. I remember, I remember being terrified by this moment. And oh my gosh, this is silly. This is, this is kind of lame. Oh, and uh, having to kind of reconcile my childhood memories of being terrified with my adult perception of the cheesy almost cartoonish qualities of the movie was was kind of was kind of entertaining in and of itself oh my god oh my god well let, let's talk about a little bit about why this movie rocks so much uh and and we're going to get to the point that you enjoyed it so much as a teenager which i think is 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 important this for west craven so west craven you know he he broke into he was a, a professor by the way uh, like you you know, likes the academic stuff. Got the little brainy brain going. Do you know? Do you know what he professed? Uh, he, you know, he taught literature, I believe, and writing, I believe. I don't think he had his PhD. See, it's those those who can't do teach. <laughs> uh, and I say that as a film professor. <laughs> uh, that was a softball for you. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I love your films. You know that. So, um, but he he then went into pornography. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you referring to A Nightmare on Elm Street? Or... Oh, damn. 
Ow. Um, so he, he did do a little bit of photography, and then he he made his first feature, which was... He, I'm assuming he was behind the camera. No, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of mystery about the man. Uh, he made Last House on the Left, uh, which people were like, it actually, he was like, oh, no one's going to see this. I can just do whatever. Let me just go crazy on it. Uh, and it just goes really crazy. It was a bit of an uh, indie hit, disturbing film. Uh, and then he made some other films, including, well, including Swamp Thing and... Uh, the Hills Have Eyes. And The Hills Have Eyes was another big break for him. It's like, oh, this is like rough, wild stuff. And then in 1984, this was like, again, he kind of kept on like every decade. It was like defining the decade. Hills Have Eyes is one of those, like the 70s horror movies. Oh, wow. And then Nightmare on Elm Street was like one of those amazing horror movies of the 80s and spawned this whole thing. And then, of course, later went on to make Scream. And uh, I've got so many reasons that I love this movie in so many ways. I and I think, though, just to respond to your initial thought about the silliness of it, one of the things that Wes Craven has said about the way he makes films is he wants to push push everything till it's almost absurd, till it's almost funny. Kind of like Freddy's arms in the alley, just stretching it just a bit too far till it no longer holds any power. Well, I mean, I guess you could say that I mean, without a doubt, there's like a fun sensibility to this film, uh, which, which I love. It is a super fun film. And there definitely is comedy. I mean, you know, Wes Craven does comedy really well. The, Freddy is a funny character. Uh, and then Scream, of course, very funny horror movies. So I, I think that some of that, what you call silliness, is is intentional to an extent. Not not to the point that he, he doesn't want you to be scared. And I, But I... I I think there's a reason he's trying to put play on that boundary. No, I, I, and I get that. I get that there is a certain camp factor to this movie that is intentional, or at least, I mean, it has to be right. There's camp, camp, absolutely. No, where, no, what? When do you? What camp? <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, it's, it's a cartoon. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there are certainly some moments that I found genuinely effective mm. um but there were moments um so for example tina's death scene i thought was uh well crafted oh yeah it was um it was horrifying in that it was not using camera well it was using camera tricks but it wasn't using quick editing or even music to sell it it was just the visual that i found arresting and shocking and interesting yeah um, they have that whole room yeah turning upside down it's crazy and you know what he did in that cool way you know tina is our lead at the beginning you know we see we see her the first nightmare is hers we meet all the other characters as uh, as friends of hers and we kind of think that she's going to be our big hero and then a la sort of psycho we're going to kill her off in the first 30 minutes that's, that's a brutal scene oh it's absolutely a brutal scene and i think actually more effective than what is probably the more famous scene of uh, a young Johnny Depp and his death, um, mm. which this sort of geyser of blood that comes up out of the bed. I mean, it was a cool effect, but it, it wasn't as intimate and visceral, I thought, uh, as, as Tina's death. Tina's death, yes, Charlie. But, but can we just talk about Johnny Depp's midriff? Because that uh, should have had its own casting, like credit. <laughs> and his hair. The, hair. the hair was nice. So... But what I mean by camp is, and, and maybe it's because Freddie, and, and this is what I mean by, I, it's hard for me to disentangle my my understanding or the, sort of the place that a nightmare, and in particular Freddy Krueger, holds in sort of pop culture. 
from my experience of the movie in its own right, uh, in that it, it's hard for me to, to even look at Robert England's Freddy Krueger uh, as anything other than a clown. And, and a lot, and again, part of that is a lot of the effects in the movie sort of play into this idea of a kind of wink at the camera. And I guess that's what I mean by it's, it's campiness that doesn't even seem to take itself terribly seriously. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, think about this, the two death scenes that you've just described, we don't see Freddie in either one of them. Tina is being slashed by someone that we can't see around uh, the, the room for the actual death sequence. She, she's being pursued by Freddie right before she dies in the nightmare, but when she's actually being killed, she, we don't see Freddie. And in Johnny Depp, we don't see Freddie either. We just, you know, we just, we don't even see Johnny. We just see a geyser of blood. But here's what I think. Here's what I think Freddie is like the, the, what you're calling camp. This is, this is how I see it. This movie is all about how, again, in horror movies, what we think we can trust is going to let us down. The places that seem like they're safe are not safe. And it's not just dreams. I would say it's really parents. The parents are what fail everybody in this movie. All the parents are, in one way or another, miserable. They're either absent or drunk. Um, you know, Nancy's mom with <laughs> the bottles. Yes, the parents are all bad. Definitely, yes. definitely bad parents. And Freddie is, Freddy is the ultimate bad adult. And he's making kind of dad jokes. That's that's how I, I think one way to do it was like Freddie's full of dad jokes and like at one point he's like you know he's chasing Tina he's like Tina and she turns around just so he can slice off two fingers and go ha ah, which is the equivalent basically of like hey pull my finger <laughs> Freddie's just like the worst kind of parent he's the worst kind of adult uh, and and he's going to kill you I mean he was a child killer like so I I think that it's that's kind of part part of the horror. But I don't think they ever wink. I don't think they ever wink at the crack camera. There's no wink. Well, and maybe this goes back to our conversation about the thing. Maybe they should have more because it. It. I didn't buy it. I. And maybe I did when I was 13. I don't know. I. I can't go back and talk to my 13 year old self, and and understand how and why it may have affected me then. But seeing it now, it wasn't scary. I was not. I was not scared by this movie, partly because, and again, to go back to our conversation about the thing, uh, I could see the strings in the moments that it was meant to be scary. Um, now, I will say there were moments like Tina's death. Absolutely. It, but even then, there was a kind of uh, detached uh, sort of distance happening where I, I was able to sort of almost say out loud, oh, nice work, Wes. Like, that's a cool scene. But it wasn't, I guess, because the whole sort of framing story and the, and the whole sort of mise-en-scene of the movie <laughs> how's that for a film snob term um had already taken me out of it like it was no there was no part of me that was invested in this movie as as somehow grounded in, in any reality that might actually scare me oh uh, i'm gonna say if the kid don't dance you can't blame the band <laughs> oh, you <laughs> absolutely like... should blame the band it's the band that should get the no. beat and get people dancing. But you're listening to you. You're like, well, yeah, I danced to it when I was a teenager. But now I, I just did, you know, huh? Do you think the band changed or is it you lost your rhythm? You know? No, I'll tell you what it is. And this goes for most horror. And I think this may get a little bit closer to the heart of why I don't like it. When I was a child, I thought as a child. And I acted <laughs> as a child. But then I grew up. And it just doesn't hold the same interest for me. Come to me, little children. <laughs> if you don't come to me as a child, oh, that's Book of Thomas. That might be getting <laughs> out of out of the canon. Um, yeah. All right. So, so I, 
I can appreciate that you're saying that your your tastes have changed as you've grown older. But I would say in some ways, not that this is made for children, but I do think this is a story. And one of the things I appreciated is it is a story of these teenagers. I mean, specifically Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp. You know, she is she she finds her strength in this movie, right? She's kind of she like this. She gets that point of finding her strength when she realizes more and more that. Her dad's not going to be there for her. Her mom's not going to be there for her. And she is not only being haunted by a monster, but a monster that was created by her parents' clumsy attempts at creating a safe world. Uh, And I think, actually, I think a lot of teenagers watching this, whether consciously or unconsciously, are like, yeah, I relate to that. I relate to, I'm battling the monsters my parents created, a la, you know, global warming. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I can't rely on them to fix it. Now, see, I love that take on this movie. I wish Wes Craven had done a better job of communicating those themes. Because I think the way you're seeing it, well, well, yeah, I, I can get on board with that kind of uh, thematic intent and and the, the, the way it's trying to tell that story. I, I, I just don't. I just didn't feel it in the experience of watching it. And again, I blame the filmmaker, not myself. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, that it was asking those kinds of questions. What what I felt it was doing was just trying to shock me, was just trying to elicit a kind of visceral response. And we can have a separate conversation, and I think it's a valid one, about the role horror movies play in generating a physical, visceral response. And I think we touched on this maybe even in the first episode. Yeah. But it's something we should come back to, and that is – that horror movies, in, in, if I find anything valuable about them, is that they, like comedies, have the ability to create a kind of somatic response in the viewer. Like, there's something powerful about that. Oh, yeah. That is interesting to me. Laughter is a physical response. And shuddering in fear or jumping in fright, like, that's cool when a movie can do that. Yeah. But if that's all the movie can do, uh, then I feel like you're trading a deeper artistic experience for a fleeting physical response. Mm, okay. It kind of feels like Wes Craven with the maggots coming out of Freddie's side and, and the geyser of blood from Johnny um, is just going for the cheap thrill. Well, first of all, the movie was cheap as, as, as far as budget. So this movie was made, you know, I think the initial budget was 700,000 and ended up going to point 1.8 uh, million. Uh, and, and so they're doing, a lot with a little, you know, it, it ended up being a huge hit, as you know, and if, you know, basically made New Line uh, into a studio. But like, I think maybe, maybe this is sort of the pop sensibility like aspects. Like, yeah, this this has a lot that is tr- it's trying to be a pop hit. It is trying to appeal to the masses. And so it does have, like, let me give you a scare. Let me give you a pal. Let me show you something you haven't seen before. And, of course, it really succeeds in that way. But I think there's a reason that people are still watching it today. There's a reason that it spawned all these different sequels. And I think it's because it's something more than just that. Well, I will say, um, to your point about what Craven is doing in terms of, of this intergenerational theme which admittedly i did not dwell very much on in terms of watching that's it. because you are the you're the grown-up with your cold bottle of vodka hiding not admitting to what you did in the basement so many years ago it's a, it's actually a rye whiskey which i poured <laughs> just before we recorded this so that i could get through it um but 
but that which let's come back to the mom and the vodka bottles because that's just absurd uh, <laughs> that's how people drink vodka russell <laughs> uh, and I swear, I don't know if it was a like a forced perspective thing, but it feels like the further we go in the movie, the larger the bottles got and the smaller the mom got. That's I'm not sure. Craven playing with your head, dude. Um, but but here's what I did find interesting that that I did think was was somewhat innovative, and that is that when we do get that turn towards the end, when when Nancy decides to take the fight to Freddie, and you get that sort of A team montage of uh or the home alone montage of setting the booby traps freddie's response is this kind of like i don't know this this weak cowering cowardly response that you i that that even in the rewatch was surprising i'm used to villains in these movies being these sort of 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 relentless oafs but i thought it was kind of interesting that freddie showed a kind of of weakness in, in as Nancy was getting the upper hand, dude, I completely agree. Like Robert England was like like so he he's this interesting casting because I think even in the original script he was written as this big, huge towering figure, and then England auditioned like oh my gosh this guy is great and I think like his biggest role up until then had been one of the aliens in V. I do re- I remember him in V actually. Yes. Yeah, me too. And uh, he is so good in this film. Uh, and uh, and part of that is like, yeah, he plays like he gets hurt. Like we we start, we see we see her fighting back and it working. And and that's actually something that's in a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. There's the sequence where Freddy gets his ass kicked. Um, can we just pause for a moment and celebrate V? You bring it up, and and it just it it hit me. You know, we're on the topic of nostalgia in a way with this pick of Nightmare on Elm Street, and you know, gone are the days of those event miniseries on like the three broadcast networks that were available to us mm-hmm. in our childhood, where millions of people tuned into the same show. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a kind of fondness for that that we have completely lost now. Remember when that the the first the lizard baby came out. Then the regular baby with a big lizard tongue. Remember that? <laughs> or the guy come out in the cryogenic chamber and broke his arm off. Oh. Anyway, um, back to Nightmare. <laughs> so, so yeah. It, it, but even that, you know, as I was watching, I was like, oh, that's fun. I realized, oh, that's fun. You know, it, it almost felt like I was watching a comedy, not a horror movie. So th- this movie is fun. Like this movie is fun. There's definitely going to be some horror movies that we watch that that are are elegant or beautiful or even elevated or are filled with dread. This is fun. This is a fun movie, uh, which I think is another reason that it's been a huge hit. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I just feel, I don't know. I felt somewhat let down by the the weird juxtaposition of my own memories of, of the movie as affecting. And, and I would love to talk about this because I don't understand it, why it affected me as, as a youth. I, I seem to recall being scared and, and how silly it seems to me now. Like what accounts, <laughs> I mean, yes, my cold dead heart as an adult, but do you not see that when you see it? Again? Do you not see the strings? Of, of, of course I see the strings. Again, we've discussed this, like, I don't mind seeing some of the strings. You know, I, I, in some ways, like like I talked about, I think, before, of like, hey, if I'm listening to a recording of Louis Armstrong and this crackle uh, in the recording, that doesn't make me dismiss the recording. Like, you know, I, it's okay uh, in that way. I think the part of it is what's interesting is like, so Freddy Krueger is not in this movie very much. He was, we hadn't seen him before. 
right? So this was this new being, this new monster. And it's interesting he's not there for Tina's actual death or Johnny Depp's at all. Uh, And I think the reason being is like, let's show less of this monster. As the movies go on, now he's all over the place and he's uh, he's he's making like awful stand-up kind of jokes in some of the movies and he becomes its own iconic person. My 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 kids know who Freddy Krueger is. They've never seen any of these movies, but they know everything about him. And in that way, once the monster's in the light, he's a little less scary. How could he not be? So I th- think probably watching this the first time, you've got like, who the hell is that guy? Who's that silhouette that's just freaking me out? I just like, it's a scarred face and a ratty sweater. I don't, I don't get it. And we've lost some of that. You know, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think there is something very compelling about him as a character. And, and I think also compelling about, you know, conceptually what the movie wants to be. And that is an exploration of, of nightmares and the nature of nightmares. Yeah. And in, in this idea that a character can affect you in your dreams and it has implications in the real world. Though, and we should talk about the ending, there's also this sense of, but even there, I wonder if the filmmaker is trying to have it both ways in the sense of, uh, am I supposed to think this is all real or is it all a dream? It, because the the ending seems to suggest that they're still in a dream. And if that's the case, then maybe this is all in her head and the stakes completely disappear. So that any <laughs> sense of real threat is gone. So, yeah, you know, the original ending that Wes Craven wanted was that basically she turns it back on him, turns it back on the monster. He, he kind of falls through her. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, we... Uh, it, she wins and all her friends are alive again and her mom's alive again. Uh, and, um, and then his producer was like, no, 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 no. We gotta have, we gotta have that moment. Like Jason jumping uh, out of the lake at the end of Friday the 13th. Spoiler for you, Russell. And so that's where they added her mom being yanked through <laughs> the, door, the window mean, on the door. You mean the mannequin, the Barbie doll that was <laughs> yanked through? Her mo- Nancy's mom dies twice in, in the film. And, 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 this, and both this, times are ridiculous, <laughs> fakey fake scenes. Okay, so first one for sure. When she's disappearing into the bed as a skeleton in a cloud of smoke, uh, I, I agree. That's like not, not the best effect. Uh, but then immediately after, Freddy emerges from the, the, the bed, his head stretching against the sheet and his, his, his scalp bloody scalp staining the sheet until he slashes through which is an incredible effect and, and all practical that was really good and wait right before he disappears in a bunch of pixie dust because she turns her back on him. <laughs> just saying okay okay there there are definitely some effects that are outstanding and some that uh not so much but i mean i think one of the things is and this is one of the things i think you're you're sort of pushing up against and i understand but something i love about it is this movie is trying to do it all it's like man we we're gonna try and do do it all so we're, we're not holding back and and have we got an opportunity to add another effect here something kind of crazy boom 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 let's put it in there but yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I remember you saying something about like what you think about the potential of dealing with dreams in a film is and, and how this film does it. Right. Well, uh, there are there are moments in this movie where I feel like Craven is onto something in terms of exploring the the potential for a dreamscape and, and terror. 
Um, so, you know, when the stairs turn to a kind of marshmallow goo Ooh, yeah. or, uh, well, that's the one that comes to mind, but, um, I do, I do, <laughs> I do feel like, I don't know. I feel like that this is an example of a filmmaker, perhaps early-ish in his career, who was not at the height of his powers, who had a great idea, but didn't quite follow through on the full potential of the concept. <laughs> Are you being killed by Freddy right now? Is that what's happening? You know, it's, it, <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, you mentioned Dreamscape. The movie Dreamscape came out the same year. Do you remember the movie Dreamscape? Oh, I do. It was Dennis Quaid yes. and Martin Short. No, not Martin. No, no, no. That's Inner Space. Yeah. But Dennis Quaid is in Dreamscape. Oh, yes. Dreamscape. No, I do remember it. Yes. Yes, he goes in a dream. With Max von Sydow? Yes. yes, yes. It's been a while. <laughs> he goes in a dream. And that had, I'm pretty sure, a much higher budget and uh, and deals with some pretty, has some pretty cool dream sequences. But it does, doesn't stay with us in the way Freddy does. Well, clearly, I confused it with inner space. <laughs> <laughs> I wish Martin Short had been in Dreamscape. Now, I think about it. But... Like, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely directors who have dealt with dream logic in a cooler way, you, you know, and, and and I love the, I mean, David Lynch is probably the best example that I can think of, but I know there are others who deal with like that kind of dream logic. But I, again, I kind of think that this one it really is more about parents letting kids down. If there is a message, it's, it's a pop song that has deeper lyrics than you would imagine in a first listening. Maybe, maybe you're right. Uh, and, and certainly your take on it is, is deeper than I, than I would give the film credit for. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think that there is room to add value to a piece of art after the fact in a way that even the artist themselves maybe didn't even expect or intend. Like Lucas going back to the original Star Wars movies? No. Oh, <laughs> I mean oh. more the way an audience can reappraise a piece of art and give it more value than perhaps it even deserves. And I think that may be the case with, with this one. Craven may have accidentally made a film that is worthy of that kind of analysis. Uh, uh, but I don't think he's really after that. I think what he's after is is shock and awe. He's, I think he, I, I think he's a mixed bag, dude. I think he's like, I mean, really is. He's he's the college professor who made porn. And I think that really stuck with him the whole time. You you, you hear him like do his commentaries. I haven't actually heard him do the commentary on uh, on this one, on A Nightmare on Elm Street. But he's often talking about like, uh, thematically, this is what I was going for and blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, uh, the last house on the left was based on like this old opera thing. <laughs> like he's he's constantly dealing with those kind of issues. Now whether he does them to the best of their ability, uh, who knows? But he is thinking about these things. They, they're not accidents. He loves having families who keep secrets from each other and the consequences of that. Uh, these are things he thinks about or thought about. God bless him. I just wish it was on the screen. Uh, I, 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 you bring up David Lynch. I would have loved to see what David Lynch could have done with this concept. And, well, I mean, we let's go watch Mulholland Drive or, uh, or, <laughs> or the, uh, you know, Twin Peaks: The Return. But I think to say that, and I, and, and I'm a huge David Lynch fan. But what Wes Craven was doing was making a popular film, and and that he did that in a way that David Lynch has no desire to do. Uh, but that is what Wes Craven is trying to do. What I mean is, again, he's a professor who also knows I, I want to make a career doing this. So I'm 
I'm going to, I'm going to give some pop to it. And, and I think it's what I love about his stuff, a carpenter in a similar way of like, I'm pop. I'm giving you visuals. I'm going to give you a thrill ride. I know that I need to do this in order to get the film made. And then the next film made next film made, I'll do that. But I've also got these ideas that I'm weaving in there. I just wish I liked them. I just wish I liked them. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is, you know what? The first step is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I do. I genuinely wish I could see them the way you see them. Because I think the way you see these movies, and, and, and honestly, the way you see the world, is kind of beautiful. That you see value in these things. It's, <laughs> it's kind of amazing to me. And I cherish that about you as a person. Well, thanks. Uh, but I just, I just can't get there. I, I feel like, um, like you've come over to my house and I've, I'm a hoarder, and I've got like, look at my trash pile. I'm like, well, look, I love how you see the value in dog shit. That's uh, <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. Uh, I'm glad you could put it into words. <laughs> um, okay, um, can can we can 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 I can I go through? The sequels really quickly, please, please lay down the bones. So um, I watched this on on my box set that my kids gave me that uh, have the original uh, first eight movies, everything but the the remake, and and they, they they gave it to me for Hanukkah, and they wrote a little sticky note saying eight crazy nights. <laughs> Are there really eight? Of yeah. these? <laughs> yes, yes, oh, and well nine considering con- uh, including the remake. So the first one, A Nightmare on Elm Street, then A Nightmare on Elm Street Two, Freddy's Revenge, uh, which has a male lead as a final male and is a, a lot about i was gonna say subtext about uh, homosexuality but it's like kind of uber text it's a, it's everywhere and it's having a bit of a renaissance now fan favorite nine on elm street three dream warriors a bunch of kids basically in a, in a uh, under in a mental asylum uh basically and de- deals a lot with teen suicide and teen issues and then finding the strength pretty awesome movie continuation of that story nightmare on elm street 4 the dream master really good one a nightmare on elm street 5 dream child some people not so wild about it i freaking love it a guy turns into a motorcycle what's not to love uh then freddy's dead the final nightmare it has cameos from roseanne bard tom arnold and johnny depp he does a little cameo in this one not not that great when you watched it in the theaters you had 3d glasses but you you could only put them on for like the 10 minutes when Freddy dies. So they couldn't make the whole movie 3D. So a character is like, I've got these glasses. Now I can see in the dreams. And it's like, now you put the glasses on. Not particularly great. Uh, and then, then comes Wes Craven, A New Nightmare. Wes Craven, A New My- Nightmare, put the mmm, mmm, in meta. Uh, <laughs> in it, Wes Craven... <laughs> <laughs> Wes Craven, he actually plays Wes Craven and Heather Langenkamp, who has been in part three as well as the first one. She returns in part three and is in this one, but she plays Heather Langenkamp, an actress who plays Nancy Thompson. So there, it's all these actors. Robert England's in there. And basically, Freddie is kind of attacking the people in the real world now. And there's some cool ideas about the nature of horror movies, about finding a vessel for our fears. And then Freddy versus Jason, where Freddy versus uh, Jason, uh, sort of beautiful monster mashup that I, I have a real soft spot for. It's really pretty damn good. And then there was the remake. And you should watch all of them. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Wait, you should watch some of them. Mm, so I did. I watched A Nightmare on Elm Street. That technically is some of them. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we should... We should do we should do a best and worst. I think. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll start. Okay. My favorite scene uh, in this movie, and this is 
feels weirdly hypocritical or contradictory. I'm not sure what, but the scene that stuck with me was Tina's death scene. Mm. The, the, the crawling up the wall, sort of bloody death uh, with, with, uh, you know, Johnny Rocco or whatever that guy's name was on the floor. Um, (laughs) You mean Rod? Did you call him Johnny Rocco? Well, I don't know. What is, I don't know. He's the West side story guy. Um, Rod Rod Lane. Yeah. I don't do research for this. Just so you know. He is kind of West Side Story. He pulls out the switchblade. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when you're a jet. So that scene I thought was was really arresting and 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 I said before intimate. Yeah. In sort of terrifying, almost grisly death. So I thought that was very that was very affecting. And as much as that, those are the parts I like least about these kinds of movies. That was that was well crafted as a piece of filmmaking. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I mean, when you see her also in the body bag waving at Nancy in the school and then being dragged again by someone you don't see because you don't see Freddie there. Just being dragged. Terrifying. Huh? Can you agree? Terrifying? Uh, no, I wasn't scared, but it was, it was a cool image. I'll give, I'll give him that. <laughs> you're, you're, geez, my goodness. All right. Well, uh, um, I, I, the, the one moment for me that, that I, I always kind of like go, eh, and I, I love this movie. I, I adore I adore this movie, but um, it's when Freddie is chasing Nancy and she's running back into the house. She's sort of falling out of the house. She's running back into the house and Freddie's chasing her. And suddenly you hear Tina's voice saying, Nancy, Nancy. And you, you're meant to see Tina's face kind of in the window of the door. And then it says, it's me, Freddie. And Freddie sort of takes off Nancy's face to reveal he's under there. But that moment always like doesn't like the mask that Freddie's wearing to look like Tina doesn't look like Tina. And it's like, for me, it's, it's like a, a, a visual gag that didn't quite work. And I'm always like, I wonder why you kept that in. Like you got so many great visual gags. Why keep I that totally, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you about your least favorite scene. Um, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get it at first. At first I, it actually kind of looked like Michael Myers. And then I realized, Oh, that's supposed to be like a skin mask. Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. 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 But there's so many cool things in there. I'm your boyfriend now. I'm your podcast co-host now, Russell. All right, all right, calm down. Um, so, uh, so next week. Okay, so you've done so well, Russell. I, I've really been impressed with everything we've been doing so far. Uh, it's time to take you again to another one of the greats. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this. 1973's The Exorcist. Directed by William Freakin. Interesting choice. It's Freakin great. Interesting choice. I'm a I'm a big fan of the new Hollywood. I'm a big fan mm. of Friedkin. Mm-hmm. I've seen this one. This is another one that I have seen. I I don't remember it being on repeat quite as much in my childhood, but it's definitely uh, it's definitely one of those that has sort of been been around the subconscious for a while. So I'm I am interested to revisit. You know, you it it's a, one of my favorites as well, but it's not. It's not the fun of a Nightmare on Elm Street. It's it's got a different quality. And since you don't like fun and have such a small heart, you might really enjoy it. And that's the horror. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Owen, where can we find you out there in the world? Uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter is like at Owen Edgerton. So O-W-E-N underscore E-G-E-R-T-O-N. And on Facebook, just Owen Edgerton. How about you, Russell? Uh, you can find me at Russell Sharman on Twitter. Um, we look forward to discussing more terrible movies. I mean, horror movies in the near future. Thanks for joining us. Horror.